going to be in verses 16 through 21 tonight. Um, before we jump in uh, to, to the text, um, I need to clear something up um, publicly. So I shared this a, a few weeks ago. You all remember when I shared the story of kind of how we got here? Well, I, I said something that I didn't like clarify, and a lot of people have wondered why, well, what happened? And, it, and I, when I said that I was fired from Chick-fil-A, they were like, how were you fired from Chick-fil-A? What did you do? What does one have to do in order to get fired from Chick-fil-A? Well, I mean, it was, it was a cool story, and so I don't ha- I want to share too long, but um, since people were wondering, um, the, the, uh, I was a shift manager, and the store manager, um, she thought that I was coming after her job, and so she fabricated something to the operator. The operator believed her, and um, they let me go. But they got me a job. That's why I told you that they, they found me a job because, like, there was no reasons for them to let me go. And so um, the, the cool thing is uh, two years after that happened, that operator called me back and apologized for letting me go. He found out that she had been fabricating a lot of other things. And uh, so I thought that was really cool. And I, I actually thanked him. I said, hey, the Lord used you, you know. He can work through anything. But, like, he used you to get me out of Chick-fil-A because I wasn't going to get out by myself. Uh, and so um, if I wouldn't, if the Lord wouldn't have done that, then, uh, then I wouldn't have ever become a student pastor, and then I wouldn't have ever been here, because I've never known about Snowbird. Um, so see how God works, right, in mysterious ways, but it's pretty cool. Um, all right, so um, has anybody been to Lowe's Hardware recently? Yeah, I, I frequent there. I know Blair does. I see him there sometimes. Um, but uh, uh, they already have their Halloween stuff out, and it's been out for weeks, Right, and so like whenever I um, see Halloween stuff, I automatically think about my youngest son, Case, um, because um, he, whenever he puts on a Spider-Man costume, he embodies Spider-Man. Right, like, he thinks that he is Spider-Man. That all of the powers Spider-Man has, he has. Whenever he has that that costume on. And that's his favorite, you know, cartoon, and he's got pillows and blankets and all this different stuff. And, and so um, he's loved to watch Spider-Man. Um, and so, but now he's recently more obsessed with Spider-Woman, which is interesting. I don't know if anybody's ever seen this before, but he's watching all of these Spider-Woman cartoons. And Spider-Woman is not like Spider-Man, right? Spider-Woman, and these are a lot older than Spider-Man, but Spider-Woman has a ton of powers, like way more than just shooting webs and climbing on things, like, and super strength. Like, she has, like, all of the powers combined. It's unbelievable. And, and so, like, he's obsessed with that, and I'm like, that's kind of weird, but okay, you know, and, and I, can't, I can't fault him because what I've come to realize after thinking about this is that people are drawn to power. Everyone is drawn to power in, in one way or another. We, we kind of all long for it, right? Um, last week, Brody was preaching through verses 3 through 15. If you recall, Peter was reminding the readers that God's teaching us today that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through knowing Jesus. And so Peter, he's, he's trying to stir us up to, to get us to remember or recall things that he's about to die. He knows that. And, and so he's giving us here a sense of urgency. In our passage tonight, we're going to see how the power of Christ and his word is solid and sure because it comes directly from God and not from man. All right, so pray with me before we read our text. 
We're going to read the whole thing before we work through it verse by verse. Father God, we thank you so much uh, for tonight. We thank you for the, uh, the privilege it is to gather together as your people. We thank you for uh, the opportunity to partake in uh, communion together. And, and now we're going to commune together in, a, in another way, by worshiping you, by reading your word out loud publicly together, by hearing your word preached. And, and so I ask that right now your Holy Spirit would speak through your word. We do not need to hear what I have to say. We need to hear what you have to say. And so I would ask that you would do what only you can do and that you would work in the hearts and minds of everyone here, including my own, uh, Lord, that, that you would speak because we need to hear from you. We need your power. We need your words. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Second Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21 says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when he made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from one's someone's own interpretation for no prophecy has ever was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from God and as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit we're going to work through this verse by verse starting in verse 16 Um, and so what we see from verse 16 is that Jesus is real that he is no myth Right? He, he is a historical reality. He's also a present-day reality. And just like mythology was around in Peter's day, mythology is around in our day as well. Right? From all different cultures, and maybe you've heard of some of these, but the Egyptian god Ra, the, the Greeks, we, we have Poseidon, um, Mesopotamian god Marduk, the Romans, Cupid, and from Norse mythology, we get Thor. Right? And now, they make for some really entertaining movies, but they are fake. It's not reality. Um, do we have any Marvel fans in the room? Some? A few of you? Yeah? So, um, in my personal humble opinion, Thor Ragnarok is the best movie in the Marvel comic universe. Okay? I just think it's hilarious. It has an incredible plot line, and it's funny. Um, it's got everything. It's entertaining. But... Um, like humans, I think, are obsessed with power, right? So much so that we've created an entire fake universe to entertain ourselves, all built around power, right? And, and so me and my family, we've recently been watching um, or re-watching, introducing our children, don't judge my parenting, um, to the Lord of the Rings. Some of you gasps. We get some amens, right? The Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, I know, maybe not as good as The Little Rings, but epic adventures, epic stories, right? Incredible. There's a kingdom of light. There's a kingdom of darkness. It's awesome, right? And, and so it's, it's, it's entertainment, right? And we're drawn into it. We're sucked in. Um, I'm a grown man, and I'm sucked in. But my son is sucked into to Spider-Woman. We're, we are drawn to great action and power, Right? Um, I think it's a God-given thing. Like, I think it's written on the hearts of men to, um, and that's why we see it everywhere. We see it in the movies. We, we see it in, in literature. And, um, but 
and it's not a bad thing. It's it only it's just a, oftentimes misplaced. And, and so um, what we're reading tonight and what you have in your lap, hopefully open, these are not myths. These are not fables, right? right? This, is, this is real. M- myths are stories without facts. Jesus is not some false idea or imaginary person in a fantasy world, right? Peter is, is testifying. He, he's telling us, he was reminding his brothers and sisters in Christ that, that he is real, that he's not made up, right? So Jesus came in power, right? He is Lord, like Peter's reminding us, um, and he's saying, hey, I'm an apostle, and I was an eyewitness of his majesty, right? Jesus is majestic, he, he's sovereignly beautiful. He's royal in power and authority, unlike any character in, the, in mythology, period, right? His power is unmatched. He, he's God all by himself. There is no equal. There's no one who's like him, right? None can compare to him. And, and so Peter wanted the church then and for us now to remember that Jesus came and he's coming again. Jesus' first coming is unmatched. It's what we celebrate at Christmas. It's, it's Advent. It's the coming of Christ. But when Peter says, look at it in verse 16, we have made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's referring to the second coming of Christ, not the first. His first coming was unmatched. His second coming will be unmatched as well, but it will be much different than his first coming. One commentator said that the, the word translated coming is an important one. It must refer here to Jesus' second coming and not to his first, for the words have meaning and context, and the context of the letter, Second Peter, is eschatological throughout. Now, that's a really large word that not a lot of people use often, right? Eschatology is really a, it's a big word for the study of end times or the final events of, of human history or, or judgment, death. And few would deny that Jesus came the first time, but many have and do deny that Jesus is coming back the second time. His first coming was to seek and save the lost. His second coming is to take his bride and judge the living and the dead. People don't like to think about Jesus' second coming because it means that we will be held accountable for how we live our lives. Judgment's coming for all moral and ethical unfaithfulness. And that's a sobering reality. Jesus' first coming was humble and meek. His second coming will be in power as the returning king to judge justly. So there are a lot more verses that speak about Jesus' return in power. I'm just going to read a couple. Matthew 25, 31 says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne because he has power and authority. 2 Thessalonians 1 7 through 10 says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and away from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. So when Peter says, we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that word, Brody mentioned it last Sunday, is, is dynamis. So it comes from dynamite. It's the same word that he used at the beginning of the chapter when he's talking about he's given us everything we need for life and for godliness. And the, and the second word that we need to understand is parousia. And that means coming. And so if you put those together, 
that the, this is talking about the powerful coming of Jesus Christ. So he's saying that Jesus and his second coming is not only real, but it will be powerful. So don't doubt it, because if you doubt his second coming, then you doubt his ability to save in his first coming, which is a really big deal. So the, the first point of the evening is that Jesus is real, and so is his second powerful coming. It will happen. Peter's eyewitness testimony continues in verse 17. Look at it with me. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So in this verse, Peter's, he's taking us back to the Mount of Transfiguration, which is found in Matthew 17, Mark 9, and Luke 9. So we're going to read that account um, that Peter is referring to as evidence. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led him up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, so oftentimes like Peter does, he's about to put his foot in his mouth, right? Because he just can't help but speak. He says, Lord, it is good that we are here, understatement. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He's like, I think it's awesome that we're here, and I want to build a house, Jesus, right here, and I want to stay with you, and I want to stay with Moses, I want to stay with Elijah. I don't want to go back down the mountain. This is amazing, all right? And it says that, he was still speaking. I think that's hilarious because God interrupted Peter. If you're going to be interrupted by somebody, God would be the good person to be interrupted by. And while he's still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him, Peter. Listen to him. Did you think Peter ever forgot this? He's writing about it, like the last letter that he's ever saying. He's like, this is like the greatest moment of my life. It was also when he puts his foot in his mouth. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces terrified. When they heard the voice of the Father, much like in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah gets this picture of the throne of God, Right, And he sees this vision of God on his throne and, and all of the angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and the whole earth is full of his glory. And he's undone. He, he's completely unraveled. Right In this moment, the disciples are on their face and they're unraveled. They're undone because they've heard the voice of the Father. They've seen the glory and the power of the Son. But Jesus comes over to them and he touches them and he says rise have no fear and when they lifted up their eyes they saw no one but Jesus only so we can learn a lot from the Mount of Transfiguration the, the Transfiguration of Christ is a, a foreshadowing of Jesus's second coming to glory G Peter got a preview right much like like I don't know if you're like my family, but we, we watch movie trailers a lot to try to find something. But a, a movie trailer is just a preview of what the movie will be, right? And Peter got a preview. He got a glimpse of what is to come. He saw Jesus as he really is, and it was terrifying. Just for a moment, 
Jesus revealed to him who he really is. And so for you Lord of the Rings fans, maybe some of you remember, when Gandalf the Grey becomes Gandalf the White, he comes back, but he keeps his gray cloak until he needs to reveal who he really is, and he rips his gray cloak off, and the light and the power come streaming forth from him because he unveiled his true nature. And, and, and when we look at the Mount of Transfiguration, some people wonder why, like, out of all of the Old Testament dudes, why just Moses and Elijah? Like, there's a lot of really awesome people in the Old Testament. Why Moses and Elijah? Why were they the ones who showed up on the mountain talking with Jesus? Scholars believe that it's because Moses represented the law and Elijah represented all of the prophets. And so we can learn from that that Jesus is superior to the law and he fulfills it. And he's superior to uh, the prophets and he fulfills them. He's the final prophet. So Peter wasn't the only one who got to see this preview of Jesus in all of his glory. James and John were also there. And that's why Peter uses the word, that little word, we, in verse 18. Look at it with me. It says, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So the second point of the evening is Peter's eyewitness testimony gives us confidence in the credibility of the gospel message. Peter, James, and John heard with their own ears the Father bestow honor and glory on Jesus. So the Father gives this divine confirmation to the Son. He, he affirms Jesus' person, right, his divinity as the beloved Son of God. He also affirms Jesus' work, his mission. He says, I am pleased with what you have done. I am pleased with what you're doing. I'm pleased with what you're about to do. Listen to him. Because Jesus told them multiple times, I'm going to go, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, I'm going to raise to life. Listen to him. He's trustworthy. He's true. And so here's a few different reasons why the transfiguration is so important. It gives validity to the gospel message. The transfiguration is a theophany, which means it's, it's a visible manifestation of God to humanity. The transfiguration was a, a foretaste of Jesus' powerful and glorious re return. And with it, and Peter's testimony, and Jesus' promised return, it should motivate us to realize that this is real. This is not fake. This is no myth. This should compel us now to pursue godliness. Like right now. The third point of the evening is Jesus' second coming should motivate us to pursue godliness with urgency today. The apostle Paul knew well, like Peter, how the first and second coming of Jesus motivated us to live godly lives now. For he wrote to Titus in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 14, he says, For the grace of God has appeared, he's talking about the first coming of Jesus, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, what? The appearing, the second coming of Jesus. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And so just to recap the first three verses tonight, we learn that Jesus is real. His second coming is, is powerful. It will happen. And Peter's eyewitness testimony gives us confidence 
and the credibility of the gospel message, and that this second coming of Jesus should motivate us to pursue godliness today and forever for the rest of our days with urgency. And so in, this, in these first three verses, we learn that the special revelation of truth in Jesus, and in these second three verses that we're going to look at right now, we see the special revelation of truth in Scripture. So if you're, you're familiar with the, the court of law, then you could say that these first three verses are the eyewitness testimony. The second three verses are the evidence, right? He, he's pointing us to some evidence, and, and so we're going to read about it. Look at verse 19. It says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So Peter said, we, the apostles, we have this word, we have the very words of God for you, the church. That's us. The, we would do well to pay attention to them. So Peter's pointing to the reliability of the word of God. All of the Old Testament pro promises, all of the Old Testament prophecies of Christ, they've come true, they're fully confirmed, so the word of God is more reliable than the transfiguration experience that Peter had. Peter's reminding us that we should pay attention to the word. So um, when I was a student pastor, we used to go on mission trips to Guatemala. And while we were working with the kids in the village, much like Pinwheel, we were just doing it in Guatemala. Um, we would, the teacher, when he would try to get the attention of the kids, he would say, Atención! Because they were going crazy. And as soon as he said that, all of the kids stopped and were like, "Si, sí, señor!" Like he would just scream like above all the kids, "Attention!" And then the kids would be like, "Si, sí, señor!" Like and be quiet. And that's what is happening right here in this passage, right? The teacher's trying to get our attention, and Peter's trying to get the attention of the church. And that that's a silly example, right? But it's almost like. Every time somebody opens the word of God, we should be like, Atención! And the church should say, Si, sí, senor! You get it, right? That's awesome. Brody's going to do that the next time he preaches. It's going to be great. Um, well, why does Peter want us to focus and pay attention on the word? It, it's, a, it's a great question. Because the word of God is the antidote to heresy and to myths. Right? To, to false teaching. The word shines brightly and powerfully in a dark world. The word of God should, it, it should have our full attention. We should heed his word, pay careful attention to it. Peter's not pointing us to pay attention to the transfiguration. He's not saying trust my experience. He's saying trust the word of the Lord. Peter knew that, his, that he had cynics. He knew that he had opponents. He knew that there were false teachers who would disbelieve in his experience and who would say, well, you, you might have seen that, Peter. You might have heard that. That's awesome, but we didn't. The transfiguration was a one-time thing, right? We weren't there, Peter. We didn't see it. We didn't get to hear the voice of the Father. But Peter's like, hey, you've got the word, and the word is sure, and the, and the word is, is eternal. It's unlike any one-time experience Kent Hughes is a well-known pastor. He's a trainer of pastors worldwide, actually. He's, he said this, that Peter canonizes the living and written word of God as our sole authority in the post-apostolic age. 
And, and canon is a, is a big word that he used there, which really means rule or measuring stick. All right, so the biblical canon, also known as the canon of Scripture, is what we know as the Bible, which is authoritative, or it should be, in our lives. The Word of God is, is more sure than any experience you or I have. Right? That's why it's so important when we share the gospel that we not only share our personal testimony, but we share the Word of God. Because His Word is what transforms the hearts of human beings, not your personal experience. We don't base our faith upon our individual experiences. We base our faith upon the authority and the power of the Word of God. And we would do well to pay attention to his authority because his ultimate authority, he has ultimate authority in life. No one and nothing else has ultimate authority over your life or over my life but the word of God. Peter uses some very illustrative language here uh, from the Old Testament that is important for us to look at. He says lamp. And when you think, when you see word lamp, I don't know about you, but I automatically think of Psalm 119, 105. The, the word of of the Lord is a lamp into my feet. It's a light into my path. Right? And then he says the day dawns, which refers to the final judgment of Christ. If you want to look up that, Isaiah 13, 9, Joel 1, 15, Amos 5, 20. Some good references for the, the day dawning, which references the final judgment of Christ. He's talking about the second coming. And then he says the morning star which refers to salvation through Jesus. Jesus is the bright and morning star, Revelation twenty-two sixteen. So this world is a, is a dark place. It's blinded to the truth. It's lost in sin and in foolishness. And we need the powerful word of God as a lamp, like, like a flashlight, like a headlamp in a very dark place. When the electricity goes out, right, what happens? What do you lose? Power, right? And when you lose power, you lose light and you lose sight. And when the Bible's closed in your life and you aren't living in light of, the, of his truth or submitting to his word, then you lose power and you start walking in darkness, which is extremely dangerous to walk in darkness because you could smack your face on something. You could trip and, and fall. And when, when the power goes out, What's the first thing that we frantically do? We search for light, right? We, we automatically, we go around, we search for light. We try to find a flashlight, a headlamp, a, a candle, something, right? We, we search frantically. Um, if you're in a large group like this and the power goes out, people would automatically start searching for a generator because the generator is a temporary source of power to provide light until the power comes back on. Right? So, so the word of God is, is a powerful light that is pointing temporarily while we're here until the day dawns. Did you know that in, in heaven there's no need for a sun? You know why? Because the light radiating out of Christ is so much so that we don't need the sun anymore. He is power. He is the light of the world. And we need to understand that all of the word points to Jesus. All of it. Augustine said, the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. And the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. Jesus is in both. 
We, we don't worship the Bible, y'all. We worship Jesus. A lot of people are like, why don't we have the original writings? We have a lot of great copies, way more than any other writing, literature in antiquity, but right, why don't we have the originals? Because we would put them in a glass box and worship them. That's what we like to do. So Jesus is, is patterned, he, he's promised, he's present in the Hebrew Bible, which is our Old Testament. One uh, evangelist and author, his name is Glenn Schreiner, I probably butchered that name. But this is what Glenn said. I thought this was fascinating. What straddles the old and the new is not simply a plan or a promise. It's a person. Jesus unites the Bible. He is not absent from the Old Testament, sitting on the bench, waiting his fourth quarter winning play. He's the player, coach, manager, directing all things. Throughout the Old Testament, he is the one and only mediator of God Most High, marching purposefully toward his own incarnation. Jesus is Lord. He always has been. This was revealed to Peter. And Peter said, pay attention. And when God said, pay attention to my son, Peter didn't forget it. And when Peter says to us, pay attention to the word, we shouldn't forget it. We need, to, we need to look with confidence in the word of God because it's not just any book. Like look at verses 20 and 21 as we close. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Bible is not the words of men, but the word of God written by men, inspired, led by the Holy Spirit. The writers of Scripture were moved along by the power of the Holy Spirit. So perhaps no other text points to the doctrine of inspiration of Scripture more than verse 21 in our passage tonight. Have you noticed so far, like, in this passage, the Trinitarian language? We, we see the Father, we see the Son, we see the Holy Spirit, especially through the Word. The Bible is incomparable when it comes to to being divinely inspired. No other word in any other book comes close to the Bible. I love books. I have a lot of books, and I don't know where to put most of them. And people make fun of me for having a lot of books. And some people call me nerds, a nerd, plural. <laughs> but my, my wife calls me a nerd, um, and it's okay. I just laugh at it. But um, as much as I love books, Nothing comes close to the Bible. It is incomparable. All of Scripture is the self-revelation of God. Right? The, the source of the Bible is God himself. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and of spirit, of joint and of marrow. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When have you read a novel that could do that? No other book in the world can do that. There's nothing like the Bible. It's breathed out by God. It is living. It is active. It is the best-selling book of all time. Like, did you know that? It's the best-selling book of all time. Did you know that people have been trying to destroy it for centuries? Been trying to get rid of it? Been trying to silence it? 
yet we still have it, yet the Lord has still preserved it. It's God's word, and like Jesus himself, it will not fade away. Why? Y'all remember last Sunday when Brody was preaching and, and he was mentioning all of the promises of God that we find in the word? He said that the the power of the Holy Spirit dwells within you and this power engages the knowledge of God and the promises of God. He's referring to to verse four in the same chapter by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Brody said that we endure by hanging on to the promises of God, that we stay faithful in our walk with Christ by clinging to the promises of God. And there's a lot of promises in the Bible, right? Right? Where do all of the promises find their ultimate fulfillment? In Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this, for all of the promises of God find their yes in him. All of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why it is through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. So all of the promises of God point to Jesus and they find fulfillment in Christ alone. All the word points to Jesus. We have to pay attention to it. We need to cling to Jesus. And by clinging to Jesus, by paying attention to his word, we concentrate, we focus on what God has said. And so I can't overemphasize the importance of the word of God. And so I wanted to give... I only thought of seven. I'm sure there's a lot more. But I wanted to give seven reasons why God's word is so important. If you want to jot these down, you can. But it says, number one, it points to Jesus. John 5, 39 through 40 says this. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. All of scripture points to Jesus. Number two, the Old Testament is about Jesus. Luke 24 says this. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus gave a sermon out of the Old Testament about himself. Number three, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Romans 10, 17. Number four, our sanctification hinges on the scriptures. Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer in John 17, 17. He said, Father, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Number five, truth is found in God's word. Psalm 119, 160 says, the sum of your word is truth. Every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Number six, it is life. Scripture is life. Deuteronomy 32, 46 says Moses is talking to the people before he's about to die. You see a theme here? Peter's about to die. He's like, focus on the word. Moses is about to die. And he says this, take to heart all the words by which I'm warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law, for it is no empty word for you, but your very life. These words are life. And then, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy to the devil when he's tempted, and he says that man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Number seven, it was written so that we might have life. John 20, 
in the close of his gospel, he says this. Remember, he was also on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you have life in his name. So the point of reading all of those scriptures is to reinforce the truth that we see in 2 Peter. That all of scripture points to Christ, who is abundant life. Right? Nothing in this life can substitute for us as followers of Christ when it comes to Bible intake. Nothing can substitute. You, you may question the Bible. That's fine. You, you, have, you have questions about where it comes from. Right? Can we trust it? Is it reliable? God's not afraid of your searching. He's not afraid of your friend's questions. He's not afraid of your family's questions. Let them ask questions. Let them search. Let them explore. Let them Set out and seek to find the truth. How do we get the Bible? Where did it come from? Who wrote it? Why should we trust it? Right? And there's plenty of resources on, on why this is reliable, why it's trustworthy. I just wanted to give you one because it's pretty simple, right? Um, it's Taking God at His Word by Kevin DeYoung. It might be up there. I gave him a picture. Um, but the reason I, I chose this one out of all of the books is because it's 120 pages, which is really short, right? And if you're like, that's really long, it comes in audible. <laughs> so, I mean, it's only like 10 bucks. You can buy it, and it's cheaper on Christian Audible. Um, and so uh, it's an amazing, readable book. And Kevin DeYoung is a phenomenal pastor, excellent, witty writer, engaging. I would highly encourage you to, to go get that book. Um, I'm going to throw my email address up on the screen. If you have questions, email me. If you're like, I want to know more, I want to search more, I want to have more resources, email me. Joseph at redoak-church.com. So what now, church? What, what now? How do we respond? How do we apply 2 Peter 1, 16-21 in our, in our daily lives? Right? Like, Peter, Peter's opponents didn't believe in the second coming of Christ. But Peter is laying out, he's saying, I'm an eyewitness. I've got, I've got this evidence right here. These are trustworthy resources. And Peter, he gives us two things in this passage. Number one is, is we need to, to let the reality of Jesus' powerful second coming create urgency to live for his glory in our lives. Number two, immerse yourself in the powerful word of God. In way of application, I wanted to, um, to paint a picture for you. Uh, so Allie, me and Allie, we've been married for 12 years. And um, some would say, you know, when Facebook first came out and you had like the define the relationship thing, your relationship status, right? Some would say um, that we are, we are married. And so our relationship to status is we are a married couple, right? Um, but that will not change. What will change, what can change, is your fellowship or your intimacy in your marriage. And so here's the example. What if, and I'm trying to paint a picture for you, what would y'all think of me as a husband if I woke up and I didn't talk to Allie at all in the house? If I went about my business and I made breakfast, I read, maybe I like caught up on everybody else's life 
on, in, in the world and social media and all, and all the things that you can read about. And then I got ready for work and I left. And then all day at work, like I didn't call Allie, I didn't talk to Allie, I didn't text Allie, I didn't send Allie any gifts or anything. And, and, and then I get home and I barely acknowledge her presence. I didn't ask her how her day was. I didn't talk to her. I didn't listen to her about her, how her day was. And am I painting a terrible picture of me as a husband? This is a picture. It's an illustration, okay? Would any woman want to be married to that man? No. Right? I mean, would anybody even want to be in a relationship with someone like that? No. But we know that to be true, right? Like, if, if we know that to be true, w- would there be any question why in that relationship there would feel like there's distance? Like, there would feel like it's cold. That, that you would feel like, man, where there once used to be a spark and, and some power, like, there's nothing now. It just seems like I've... Why? Well, it's obvious, right? You're not communicating. You're not listening. You're not engaging. You're not, commu- you're not communing with your spouse. You're not putting anything into the relationship. So no, no wonder there's no spark. No wonder there's no power, right? Why do we expect it to be any different when it comes to our relationship with Christ and his word? There's a direct connection between your intimacy and your relationship with God and your relationship with his word. There's a direct connection. I can't expect to feel close to Allie if I'm not spending time with Allie, if I'm not talking with Allie. And there's a direct relationship between your nearness to God and your nearness to his word. You wonder why you're giving in so easily to temptation in your life. You feel powerless when you face struggles because you aren't spending time with Jesus in his word. The Bible is not about a list of do's and don'ts. It's not, a, it's not about principles and platitudes. It's about a person. So we need to live in the reality of Jesus' powerful second coming. We need to immerse ourselves in his word. We need to pay attention to him. We need to pay attention to his word. And since Jesus' second coming is just as sure as his first, we should have a greater sense of urgency as the body of Christ. And as I'm studying through this, and as I'm thinking through this, I was overwhelmed by my own guilt. Because I'm guilty of forgetting about Jesus' second coming. I'm guilty of just living my life as if he's not coming back. I'm guilty of of not living with a sense of urgency. I'm I'm guilty of wasting time. I'm, I'm guilty of being idle with his word and not paying attention to it as I should. And this word is convicting. I hope it's convicting to you as well. We need to pursue what Peter's saying. We need to pursue godliness with a greater sense of urgency. Don't lose your your fervor, your zeal. Red Oak, we would do well to heed Peter's call to pay attention. Like a lamp shining in a dark room. 
is the Word of God shining in the darkness, in the lies that are being spewed out all over our culture. If you want life, look to Jesus. Be saturated in his word. Your friends, your family, they want life? Point them to Jesus. Point them to his word. Word of God transforms our lives. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a myth. So let us, right, just like the Apostle Paul said, not be ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God. It's the power of God for the salvation of anyone who would believe. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be afraid to talk about the gospel. Don't be afraid to talk about Jesus. Don't be afraid to talk about the word. Don't be afraid to point people to the word. Let us not forget the word. Let us not forget his second coming. Let us not be idle when it comes to his word. Don't be complacent in your own personal life and in your family's life with the word because the reality is time is short. We don't know. We don't know when he's going to come back. Let's also not be insulated. Let's reach out in love in our community with God's truth. Let's watch the darkness flee. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that it is powerful. I thank you that you have promised us that your word does not ever return void and that it does not fade away. I thank you so much for correcting Peter, for restoring Peter, and for reminding Peter and showing him your power. I thank you for his eyewitness testimony. I thank you so much that he pointed us to the scriptures. And we just praise you and, and we thank you for the fact that you've preserved your word for us today, that we have access to it. I pray that we would not take that for granted, that, that you would instill in us, your people, a greater hunger and a greater zeal for knowing your word and for sharing your word, that we would be faithful Bible-loving people. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.